You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. To the idea of, of charity, but for now, we need justice that is distributive. We need grace that is liberating. And, and only with both will we see far enough to have a, a life-giving discussion about charity. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 267 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. It's a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us today in our work of resistance, survival, liberation, reparation, and transformation. Our title this week is Justice, Grace, and Charity, and this is going to be part one. Our feature text is Matthew 12, 18. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my trust on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Now, my younger daughter came home uh, recently visibly upset about misogyny in her local high school. And, and while she was speaking out against some of the, the structural and, 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 and systemic uh, privilege that boys uh, at her school receive, uh, one of her, her, her close male friends made a very patronizing and, and anti-feminist remark. And she was shocked. And, and but I think the biggest emotion she felt was just disappointment. And later she told me she couldn't believe that one of her friends could have said and, and thought such a thing. And, and then she then repeated a saying that I, I used to tell her when she was in elementary school, she said, fish don't know they're wet. He's just regurgitating only what he's heard from the men in his life. And she wanted her friend to be a a better human. And she believed that he could be a better human, uh, but she didn't want to, the bottom line was she didn't want her to believe her friend could, could genuinely be so uh, patriarchal and in his beliefs, even so young. And he, 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 uh, she said he must not, uh, know any better, she she decided. And the next day, she went back to school, and, and she was determined to enlighten him. And the following night, she reported, though, to little good news that her, her, her friend did apologize and had had been open to, to, to listening to her. And I, I wonder w- whether he was only trying to pacify her in order to keep her friendship, or, or was he sincerely open to seeing another's perspective? And, and my daughter, again, she wanted to believe he was being sincere. And uh, she said, this by far doesn't fix things, uh, but it's a start. And she said, we'll see, time will tell. And, and, and that may, gave me pause as well. Time will tell. I believe that time will tell for for all of us. This week, I want to begin a two-week discussion of three words, justice, grace, and charity. And how we define each of these words makes a significant difference in whether we act as mere pacifiers uh, for people's or communities' suffering, or, or whether we go further and we work as agents of, of change. So let's start with justice first. In the Hebrew scriptures, justice was understood not as retributive, but distributive. It was not about punishment, uh, 
but about resources and power being distributed fairly to to all so that everyone uh, possessed what they needed to thrive. And when justice prevailed, uh, people would not uh, only thrive as individuals, um, they wouldn't just survive at at another person's expense. Instead, they they were to thrive together. There was a community to it, an idea of, of communal thriving. And that's the kind of justice that we find in the Jesus story, too. In Matthew's gospel, um, the gospel refers to Jesus quoting the book of Isaiah in Matthew 12, 20, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. Now, think of that phrase for a moment, bringing justice to victory. I love that imagery. It captures this idea of of distributive justice being presently obstructed, yet eventually overcoming through our choices for a, a more just world. And it's the idea that one day justice will be uh, victorious. And too often within Christian communities, justice is defined as punishment or as as vengeance. And, and this kind of justice, it then becomes seen as a, a negative. It's something to be overcome by grace, which is another one of our words this week that we'll discuss in just a moment. But but defining justice this way, it becomes something that that is escaped when grace prevails. But but the hope of the Gospels, just like the Hebrew prophets, is not that justice will be overcome by grace, but that injustice, uh, violence, uh, oppression will be overcome by justice. These same prophets, they, they do talk about punishment, but even in the prophets' writings and as well as in the gospel, the idea of punishment is always restorative. It's, it's not retributive. Uh, there were two Greek words for punishment in, in the cultures from which the gospels uh, were written. The first one is Timoria, and the second one is Colossus. And I want to spend some time on both of these for a moment. Both are translated into our English Bibles as punishment. Yet consider that the ideas behind these two words, even though it's the same English word, the two ideas behind the two words are, are dramatically different. Tamoria implies uh, causing people to suffer punitively or retributively. It's very retributive, and its purpose is penal. It refers to satisfying a need in the one who inflicts the punishment. So stop and consider that for just a moment. The, the purpose of this kind of punishment is is to satisfy a need, not in the one receiving the punishment, but in the one inflicting or demanding the punishment. It's satisfaction. It's 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 retribution. And you can see uh, uh, Thayer's Greek and English lexicon of the New Testament for more on this, and, and Lou and Nida's Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament based on semantic domains. And yet, as we know, there are other types of punishments or disciplines, too, uh, that, that are not for the purpose of satisfying something in the punishment. Uh, when a parent rightfully or or healthfully um, disciplines a child, they don't do so to satisfy their own retribution or their own retributive, uh, punitive desire that demands payment from a child. Life-giving discipline is transformative. It's reparative. It's restorative. It's still a form of punishment, uh, yet the goal of restorative punishment is to, to win the child away from the behavior 
behavior that they've chosen to a different course. And, and we should note that, that at the same time, uh, one of the perverse things about fundamentalism is how it teaches folks to inflict retributive or punitive pain and then reframe it as restorative. We have to be aware of how this can be abused too. Let's talk about this second word, colossus. Colossus implies a kind of reparative punishment. Plato, he described it in, in Protagoras. He writes, If you think, Socrates, of the nature of punishment, you will see at once that in the opinion of mankind, virtue may be acquired. No one punishes, and the word he uses here is colossus, no one punishes the evildoer under the notion or for the reason that he has done wrong. Only the unreasonable fury of a beast acts in that manner. But he who desires to inflict rational punishment, and again, this is Colossus, does not retaliate for a past wrong which cannot be undone. He has regard to the future and is desirous that the man who is punished, and again, that's another form of Colossus, and he who sees him punished may be deterred from doing wrong again. He punishes for the sake of prevention, there by implying the virtue, uh, that virtue is capable of being taught. In various Greek lexicons and modern commentaries, they define Colossus very similarly. A Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament, William Greenfield, he, he defines Colossus as chastisement. Um, uh, other lexicons, I don't want to put all these in this week's e-site, but other lexicons define it as, as the trimming of luxuriant branches of a tree or a vine to improve it and make it fruitful. Uh, others uh, define it as the act of clipping or pruning or restriction or restraint or reproof or check. Uh, it's the kind of punishment that tends to the improvement of, of the criminals. And, and, and it's what the Greek philosophers, again, called colossus or chastisement, this lexicon says. They define it as pruning, checking, punishment, chastisement, correction. And on later translations from the Greek into Latin, Max Mueller, he writes, do we want to know what was in the uppermost at uh, what was uppermost in the minds of those who formed the word for punishment the latin punio or to punish the root pu in sanskrit which means to cleanse to purify it tells us that latin derivation was originally formed not to express mere striking or torture but cleansing correcting delivering from the stain of sin and that's in chips from a german workshop page 259 so and for still more on the differences between Timoria and Colossus. You can see William Barclay's uh, The Apostles' Creed, page 189, and J.W. Hansen's classic work, Universalism, The Prevailing Doctrine of the Christian Church During Its First 500 Years. At page 39 to 41, he does an excellent job of uh, 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 exploring these two words, Timoria and Colossus. So what kind of punishment is Colossus then? Well, it's restorative, it's redemptive, it's transformative, it's, it's the kind of punishment or, or discipline that a loving and functional parent gives a wayward child, hoping to help them see uh, the intrinsically destructive consequences of their choices so that they, they'll turn from those choices and make better choices. It's, it's restorative justice, not retributive justice. But, but what's most important is that whenever Jesus in the gospel speaks of, of punishment, the gospel authors always use the word colossus. They never use the word Timoria. Jesus's punishment is not a retributive punishment. It's restorative. It's 
transformative. It's, it's, it's designed to reform the recipients. And so again, in the Gospels, when we speak of justice, first of all, it's not about punishment. But even when we talk about punishment, punishment is restorative. But justice, justice is about distribution of resources. Consider uh, this story in Luke's Gospel, Luke 18, 3 through 8. Jesus said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen one? who cry out to him day and night. Uh, Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see they get justice and quickly. It's this idea of distributive justice here. And in the Gospels, um, again, it's, 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 it's the story of justice that's being carried onward toward victory. Let's talk about grace for just a moment, too. Grace is another word that we find in the Gospels, but consider how it's used in Luke. In Luke 2, verse 40, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, grace in the Gospels, according to Erdman's Dictionary of the Bible, it's it's a favor that manifests itself in deliverance. It's, it's, it's a favor that works out liberation for the oppressed. Grace is that preferential option for the oppressed, for the vulnerable, for the marginalized, that works out their liberation. And in Christian circles, however, grace is, is too often, it's defined as letting someone off the hook from a a punitive, punishing, retributive justice. And in in this context, grace becomes victorious over justice rather than justice being victorious over injustice, violence, oppression, marginalization, exploitation, subjugation, whatever. When it's all about grace, the discussion too often is about guilt alleviation rather than than systemic change. The discussion is about a a grace or an unmerited favor that, that doesn't condemn oppressors rather than a a grace or a a favor that manifests itself in liberation for the oppressed. And in the Gospels, grace is expressed as as a preferential option, again, for the oppressed, for the vulnerable, for the marginalized. It's favor or it's solidarity on the side of those who are hungering and thirsting for for distributive justice or distributive righteousness, as Matthew 5, 6 uh, says. So one of my favorite stories of God is how he bumped into the idea of grace as simply being let off the hook. And Gandhi tells of the interaction with a his interaction with a, a Christian that he refers to in, in his biography as, as uh, one of the Plymouth Brethren. So here's how the story takes place. One of the Plymouth Brethren says to Gandhi, How can we bear the burden of sin? We can but throw it on Jesus. He is the only sinless Son of God. In it is his word that those who believe in him shall have everlasting life. Therein lies God's infinite mercy. And as we believe in the atonement of Jesus, our own sins do not bind us. Sin we must. It is impossible to live in this world sinless. And therefore Jesus suffered and atoned for all the sins of mankind. Only he who accepts 
steps, his great redemption can have eternal peace. Think what a life of restlessness is yours and what a promise of peace we have. And then Gandhi responds. And this, again, is one of my favorite uh, responses uh, that Gandhi ever made to Christianity. The argument utterly fails to convince me. I humbly replied, if this be the Christianity acknowledged by all Christians, I cannot accept it. I do not seek redemption from the consequences of my sin. I seek to be redeemed from sin itself, or rather from the very thought of sin. Until I have attained that end, I shall be content to be restless. See, one of these was preoccupied uh, with uh, being grace being victorious over consequences for for injustice and the other was preoccupied or focused on on justice finally being victorious over injustice oppression and and violence and and favor uh, again that manifests itself in liberation of the the oppressed that is miles away from favor that lets oppressors off the hook without even discussing reparations or or making thing, them making things right. And next week, we'll connect how this uh, th- these two words, how they connect in the Gospels to the idea of, of charity. But for now, we need justice that is distributive. We need grace that is liberating. And, and only with both will we see far enough to have a, a life-giving discussion about charity. We don't need charity that is only temporary and leaves injustice, not only untouched, but, but too often supported. We need a kind of justice and grace that shapes our world into one where charity isn't even, charity is no longer necessary. Matthew 12, 18, here's my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Heart group application this week. This week, take some time together as a group and I want you to make a gratitude list. There is a lot to celebrate this week. There are plenty of things that that still need changed in our larger communities. Uh, yeah, yeah, progress is being made too. So number one, each person in your group, write down three things that you're thankful for this week. Number two, go around the room and from those who are willing to share, share why these items that you're thankful for, why they're valuable to you. And then number three, take a moment and bask in, in your gratitude for all that's happening right now, and then name one area in which you, you see that work still needs to be done. And then in the coming weeks, let's get back to it. Thanks for checking in with us this week. Wherever you are, keep living in love, keep uh, living in compassion, uh, action, justice. Another world is possible. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.